Taiwan has reported its first domestically transmitted COVID infection in more than eight months. The case involves a woman in her 30s, a contact of a New Zealand pilot who recently tested positive for COVID. The two were in close contact two weeks ago, while the man was undergoing a period of self-health management. Officials said the pilot, pilot did not truthfully declare his whereabouts and his symptoms to authorities, and he now faces a fine of up to 300,000 NT dollars. Taiwan's 253-day streak of no local COVID cases has come to an end. On Tuesday, officials said a local contact of an infected plane pilot tested positive for the disease. This domestic infection is patient number 771, a woman in her 30s who works at a subsidiary of Qantas Storage. She's said to be a close friend of the New Zealand pilot whose diagnosis was reported on Sunday. They were in contact during the pilot's self-health management period from December 7th to December 12th. Patient number 771 has 167 contacts, 13 of which have been placed in home isolation. The other 154 are undergoing self-health management. The CECC has released details on whether two patients went during that period. They visited the Tianmu branches of the Xinkong Mitsukoshi and Far Eastern Sogo department stores, as well as the Costco in Taoyuan's Nankan. The Xinkong Mitsukoshi in Tianmu has launched emergency disinfection, and the Far Eastern Sogo closed early at 5 p.m. on Tuesday to sanitize the premises. Taoyuan's Costco disinfected its facilities on Monday. The woman's employer says it complied with instructions from the Department of Health and disinfected its facilities. The woman's close contacts in the company are now in home isolation. Getting information from the New Zealand pilot, however, has proven difficult. The man's co-pilots, who both tested positive for COVID, say he didn't wear a face mask in the cockpit despite having a cough. During contact tracing in Taiwan, the man reportedly lied about his contact history. During our investigation, patient number 765 didn't provide a truthful account of his contact history. That violates the Communicable Disease Control Act. In accordance with Provision 3 of Article 67, he can be fined between 60,000 and 300,000 NT. The pilot's case has triggered outrage online. Internet users have flooded EVA's Facebook page with comments saying its flight attendants were previously found breaching quarantine rules. Now that pilots have entered the mix, calls are growing for the company to step up its health measures. EVA's says it will form an investigation committee and punish employees who don't comply with CECC regulations. And in the wake of Taiwan's first local COVID case in months, New Taipei has become the first to suspend outdoor gatherings. The city government has canceled all open-air activities, such as product promotions, that are scheduled at its annual Christmas land market. But the lights will stay on at the festival's art installations, which locals are still encouraged to enjoy with a mask on. The Central Epidemic Command Center says it won't order local governments to call off their New Year's festivities because the infection source of the local case is clear. But officials say rules will be in place at New Year's celebrations. Everyone participating must wear a, mask, a face mask at all times, except at designated zones for eating and drinking. In addition, snacks and drink vendors won't be allowed at countdown events to reduce the risk of COVID transmission. In another two days, Taiwan lawmakers will hold a vote on nine executive orders concerning U.S. pork imports containing rectopamine. It's a largely symbolic vote that's unlikely to change the plan to lift Taiwan's pork import ban on January 1st. 
but the stakeholders are taking no chances. The KMT has launched a street demonstration against the nine executive orders, uh, and the DPP caucus has issued a party directive ordering all members to vote in favor of all nine. Meanwhile, the American Institute in Taiwan has issued a press statement defending the safety of U.S. pork containing rectopamine. Thursday will be the final showdown on U.S. pork imports at the Legislative Yuan. Ahead of the date, opposition parties are moving to put pressure on the administration. President Tsai Ing-wen, Premier Su, and all lawmakers of the DPP caucus, this vote represents your commitment to the people and to your legacy. All of it will be recorded for posterity. May party politics not be permitted to override the will of the public. In response to qualms over U.S. pork, the AIT issued a press release titled Facts About U.S.-Taiwan Agricultural Trade on its website. The document emphasizes that the United States and Taiwan are partners in food security and U.S. products are safe here, there and everywhere. The statement delves deep into U.S. safety protocols for food exports. On its Facebook page, the AIT said U.S. pork had been, quote, needlessly politicized. But its words failed to move the opposition KMT. The U.S. is not our overlord. Sixty percent of the public opposes ractopork. This is an issue of food safety and health. It's not a politicized issue like the AIT thinks. The AIT has noticed over this period there have been a lot of false rumors about food safety in Taiwan. A lot. So with the press release, the AIT is hoping that politics doesn't encroach upon the science-based issue that is food safety. To ensure the passage of the nine executive orders on Thursday, Premier Su held a meeting with the DPP's legislative caucus. The caucus decided that all DPP lawmakers would be instructed to vote in favor of the executive orders. Whenever proposals are on the discussion table, there will always be different opinions. But all DPP lawmakers must now fall in line and unite to ensure the executive orders are passed. Society will see that we are standing on the side that's right. Even with some opposition staring at the grassroots, the DPP caucus has ordered its members to stick to the party line. For lawmakers who represent agricultural districts, the pressure is on ahead of the vote. Well, 2021 is on the horizon, and it will usher in major changes to the law. The new rules cover a range of issues, from taxes and wages to pork imports and pork labeling. Here's a roundup of key changes taking effect next year, so you can see the changes 2021 could bring to your daily life. Bags of pork jerky go into the box to be shipped just in time for the holiday season. This year, there are extra hands on deck at the store to make sure each product carries a country of origin label. Next January 1st, Taiwan is due to lift its ban on U.S. pork containing ractopamine. Ahead of the move, the government ordered the entire supply chain from importers to market vendors to label pork products with their country of origin. It creates more of a guarantee. It gives more insight into the product's contents. Products made in Taiwan should be clearly identified to put customers at ease. We need to redo a few dozen versions of our packaging. We just have so many different sizes of food packaging. The transition will cost some 40,000 to 50,000 NT. Besides mandatory country of origin labeling for pork, a minimum wage hike will also come into effect on January 1st. 
the monthly basic wage will rise from 23,800 NT to 24,000 NT. The hourly wage will go from 158 to 160 NT. Labor insurance premiums and pension contributions will rise by 0.5 percentage points each. But come May, taxpayers will get a higher basic living expense exemption of 182,000 NT up from 175,000 NT. Following the adjustment, some 2.05 million households can expect to pay less in taxes. The basic wage increase is very slight. It doesn't keep up with inflation. Tax cuts that let you pay less make more of an impact. 2021 is just ahead and it will bring a raft of new laws and regulations. Now's the time to scope out the changes coming your way, which could have an impact on your daily life. And now on to the weather, which could make or break your Christmas weekend. Now, fortunately, it's looking like a wet and cold Christmas Eve on Thursday. That rain should dry out by Christmas Day in most parts of Taiwan, but we'll probably see low temperatures stick around throughout the end of the year. Good riddance 2020, hello 2021. In Taiwan, the first sunlight of the new year will emerge over Dongqing village on Orchid Island at 6.33 a.m. On Taiwan proper, the first sunrise will happen two minutes later at Pingdong's Elwanbi. But whether those first rays will be visible will be down to luck, as the strongest cold front of the season sweeps in this weekend. There is a chance that the continental cold front will affect us, but it depends on moisture levels. If there is a lot of moisture, more clouds will appear in windward areas. But due to changes in the atmosphere, there may not be as much moisture as there has been of late. The CWB says the incoming air mass may strengthen into a cold front. Some experts even see it becoming a strong cold front. The forecast for the week ahead is rainy on Christmas Eve, which falls on Thursday. Christmas Day is likely to be dry and cold, with sparse showers only in the east. The cold air front will pass by the 27th and 28th, leaving intermittent showers in the north. As the cold air makes its way south, it will send temperatures plummeting until the 29th. We estimate that in the next cold spell, temperatures will dip as low as 15 degrees in the north and northeast, 16 degrees in central Taiwan, 17 degrees in the south, and 18 or 19 degrees in Hualien and Taidong. Cool air on New Year's Eve will bring even colder weather. Next week, Taiwan will continue to feel the effects of the northeasterly winds. If you're heading out this holiday season, be sure to wrap up warm. And if you're traveling to see the first race of 2021, just hope that fortune is on your side. Taiwan and Australia share a strong friendship built on people-to-people ties and trade exchanges. Over the past three years, Australia's representative to Taiwan, Gary Cowan, has played a key role in strengthening that friendship. Cowan's term in Taipei is soon coming to an end, and he'll be returning to Australia in January. He looks back on his time in Taiwan with Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang. Australia's representative to Taiwan pedals hard as co-workers cheer for him along the way. According to him, this trip up Uling Mountain was one of the hardest things he's done. He learned valuable lessons from the experience, which helped him reflect on his diplomatic strategies. 3,275 meters, so it's a long way up from the sea. So it took me more than eight hours. Last uh, 20 kilometers was very heavy rain, lightning, thunder. <laughs> very, very steep and high altitude, so it was, it was very hard. But um, I persevered 
and uh, I had teammates there with me. So I think the, the, the two diplomatic lessons I drew from that experience, if I can say that, are, you know, um, even though something is hard, if you have a, a goal, maybe a diplomatic goal, then uh, perseverance is one way to get there. And also, I think it's important not to do it alone. You need uh, friends, partners um, to, to help you get there. So uh, I think in, in uh, achieving the region that we want to see, it's important to, to work with friends and partners. Some of his most memorable moments in Taiwan include biking around Taiwan, hiking, surfing, and volunteering for nonprofits. During his stay, he's ticked off three items on his bucket list, cycling around Taiwan, climbing Jade Mountain, and swimming across Samun Lake. What do you think you're going to miss most about Taiwan? Oh, I think uh, many, many things. Obviously friends, um, uh, colleagues in, in government here, in business here, um, but also the mountains. Yeah, we don't have mountains as high as you have here. So uh, although Australia's scenery is fantastic um, and like Taiwan, we love uh, the outdoors, I think your mountains are pretty special. In the three years of Cohen's tenure, the trade and economic relationship between Taiwan and Australia has expanded and diversified significantly. In 2019, economic exchanges between Taiwan and Australia reached new highs in both trade and tourist numbers. Trade was worth more than 20 billion Australian dollars. That year, 200,000 Taiwanese visited Australia and 100,000 Australians visited Taiwan. Australia and Taiwan have discovered that we have a lot to offer each other. And of course, uh, right from the early days, we have very complementary. But I think what's happened also in more recent times is that um, we have benefited from many young Taiwanese going to Australia, uh, working there, studying there, travelling there, uh, sometimes settling down. And so bit by bit we've developed, I think, uh, a cohort of people who know Australia quite well and that has led to a great diversification in the relationships. Cohen says he envisions more cooperation between Taiwan and Australia after COVID-19, specifically on energy development and biomedicine. In the energy sector, Taiwan is buying liquefied natural gas from Australia on a long-term contract. Two years ago, we started supplying to you under long-term contract for the first time, LNG. And this is helping Taiwan reach its uh, uh, natural gas targets in its energy mix. So we've gone from a, a, you know, almost nothing to, I think, uh, well over 4 million tonnes a year. Cohen says what he's most proud of during his Taiwan tenure is rediscovering the potential of the close ties between Taiwan and Australia. I've really had a terrific experience here over the three years. I've discovered a lot about um, Taiwan, its people, its culture, uh, its scenery and its capabilities. And um, next year, uh, my office, the Australian office in Taipei, it will uh, celebrate 40 years, its 40th anniversary. So uh, we will be having some activities to celebrate the 40th anniversary of, of the office. And uh, what I'd like Taiwanese people to do is to rediscover what Australia has to offer and what our relationship has to offer. So there's lots of potential and I, I think we should grab it. 
Taiwan and Australia have many things in common, population size, democratic values, and a complex colonial history. Both also face pressure from China. Recently, China started imposing import tariffs of up to 212% on Australian wine. Many Taiwan officials have shown support for Australian winemakers amid the harsh tariffs, and many Taiwanese have been purchasing Australian wine. I think we've been uh, pleased that um, Taiwan has, uh, you know, given um, support from its people. Uh, we've certainly had a lot of inquiries on purchasing Australian wine in the last little while. We welcome that. Uh, we welcome the warm feelings from from uh, the people of uh, Taiwan, and you know, of course, we'll be looking at at ways of uh, building markets in a whole range of partners in Taiwan and beyond. Taiwan does not yet have a free trade agreement with Australia. When asked about the possibility of one in the future, Cohen gave a measured response. We haven't taken a decision to do that at this point, but at some point, you know, we will examine it again um, and uh, and see where we are at that that point. But uh, we're certainly very open to improving economic and trade relationships and always interested in looking at ways of liberalising that trade. Taiwan has made really remarkable strides the last 30 years. It's moved to being a very you know, robust uh, democracy. Uh, we admire you know, what uh, Taiwan has done, what its society has done. So we see, I think, Taiwan as a, you know, a good partner in the region for a whole range of things and of course I've talked a lot about the economic partnership we already have. Um, I think you know we are always interested in developing relationships, diversifying markets and um, and working with, with good friends and partners. Cohen's three-year tenure is coming to an end and he'll be returning to his home in Canberra in January. He says he'll be taking his Taiwanese bike home to continue riding and taking on new challenges. His parting wish is that Taiwan and Australia can keep strengthening their relationship in the coming years. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Lu Botong in Taipei. The National Sports Training Center celebrated, ce celebrated the official opening of its long-awaited new dormitory on December 21st. Artistic gymnast Li Zhikai, boxer Chen Yanqing, and the queen of badminton Dai Ziying were all on hand to show reporters just how fancy the new facility is. Coaches and athletes line up to celebrate the opening of a new dorm for the National Sports Training Center. The 1.4 billion NT facility drew comparisons with a five-star hotel. But what's it really like inside? Let's take a tour with Lee. Of all the upgrades, the sauna has got the most hype. It feels strange at first, Lapsley, who pronounces it too fancy. Of course, I would prefer this to some five-star hotel because here they gave me the feeling of being at home. The new dorms began to take shape three years ago and have gradually opened in 2020. In June, a number of coaches and athletes moved in. Middleweight boxer Chen says the canteen is especially good. Especially with the pandemic these days, these perspex screens have appeared. It's not like because of the pandemic we can't chat. The route to walk around has been well designed and there's lots of space. And the most important thing is the sofas are really comfy. 
<laughs> I've tested everything I needed to. There are lots of game consoles in the KTV room. Dai will be back on the court in January. She's nervous, she says. After 10 months with no elite-level matches, she can't tell if she's on form or not. And there are new tests in store. The isolation, then the competition, and competing in three rounds in one location. I've never done that before, and I have to self-isolate when I come back while keeping up with my training. I'll have to adapt to all these new things. Dai says her goals for January are to check how her pandemic training regimen has gone and to use the contest to get back to top form. And she even put out a request for viewers. Ping her if you've got a cool idea for how to spend her two weeks isolation.